The beard's been useful, all right? I grew it for foster care, and I've talked about foster care in a number of groups when I showed up. Some people think I look dignified. Others, scruffy. Uh, some people feel that uh, I look younger. Others, older. Some, wiser. Others, less wise. But my mother doesn't really like facial hair on me, so I'm shaving it off this afternoon, all right, before I go to Thanksgiving. So I'm going to be clean-shaven on the 30th. And, uh, but I've enjoyed emphasizing foster care with this little scruffy beard. And uh, I've also enjoyed seeing others doing that. And I'm hoping that you've had opportunities to highlight the needs of these modern-day orphans for whom we, we feel a special obligation and responsibility as the people of God. And here in our community, these orphans are in trouble and they need our help and so that is the emphasis that we've had through this time now we leave on Tuesday and my wife Janet is in charge of the Crosby Thanksgiving meal and so she's been divvying up things I think there's six turkeys and three hams and we're expecting between 150 and 200 people for our this is our immediate family all right so that's where we'll be headed I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving experience like we are going to have. Mother fixes three or four hundred rolls each time that we meet, and she arrives on site with them in a pan and divided up into multiple pans, and she puts them in the oven as we're having our uh, family reunion and pulls them out hot. You know, so we eat hot rolls all day long. At least that's how it worked this last time. You think it'll work that time? This, okay. I'm expecting it. it's going to be like that. So I hope your Thanksgiving is equally wonderful. I want to turn to a Thanksgiving text this morning. It is 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Maybe you haven't thought of that as a Thanksgiving text. It is the body of a hymn that David, King David, gave to Asaph, as you'll see in the introduction. And I think it's beautiful. It is uh, offered on the occasion of the moving of the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, which is right next to Jerusalem. And here the chronicler distinguishes between Jerusalem and the city of David. If you go to the uh, holy city, Jerusalem, today, you will see a part of it south of the Temple Mount that is designated the city of David by many, and they are excavating it. And uh, when Solomon builds the temple, they move the ark from the city of David to the Temple Mount. I'm going to start with verse 7 of chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles. That day David first appointed Asaph and his associates to give praise to the Lord in this manner. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. 
He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever, the promise He made for a thousand generations, the covenant He made with Abraham, the oath He swore to Isaac. Verse 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. When they moved this, Ark of the Covenant, which is the reminder of the covenant and represents the covenant that Israel has with God. When they move it to the tent that David is set up in the city of David, they offer this hymn of thanksgiving. It is called a hymn of thanksgiving, showing us, demonstrating to us how thanksgiving is the heart of worship. Gratitude is the heart of worship. There's nothing closer to the heart of worship than thanksgiving. When you, when you read the word blessing in your New Testament, it's the word eulogia, which is good word. When you read Jesus took the cup and gave thanks, it's the word Eucharist, which is good gift or good grace. Over and over again, we discover that thanksgiving is the heart of worship. The cup which we take in communion is the cup of thanksgiving, according to the Apostle Paul. I want to challenge your mind about gratitude this morning, okay? Everybody here knows I love Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday of the year. Gratitude is not a product of circumstances. Gratitude is not a product of circumstances. I want you to process that for a minute because it goes against what you naturally think. You're giving thanks to God for all His good gifts, for the food that He's provided you, but I will tell you that gratitude is not a product of circumstances. You can easily see that if you look around you at people in the world. Some are grateful, some are not, though they may be in very similar circumstances. If you really look, you'll discover that a person in a sickbed can be as grateful as a person who is completely well in every way. A person who is in prison can be as grateful as a person in the free world. A person who lives in the third world can be as grateful as somebody who lives in these United States. A person in poverty can be as grateful as a person who has much. In fact, gratitude is disconnected from circumstances in the Scripture. And we got to get this because some of us still suspect that we would be more grateful if we had more to be grateful for. We still think life has shortchanged us somehow, and our feelings of resentment about it are appropriate because our circumstances don't seem to indicate thanksgiving to us. So I'm telling you now that gratitude is not produced by circumstances. 
the first Thanksgiving, was pronounced by Governor Bradford in the colony where the pilgrims landed. In 1620, 102 of them got on the Mayflower and sailed from Holland to Cape Cod. It took 66 days. They landed there in the midst of a bitter winter. Do you know how many people survived that winter? 44. Everybody else on the Mayflower died the first winter. Do those sound like Thanksgiving circumstances to you? Probably not. But after that harsh winter, there followed a predictable spring and a wonderful abundant crop, and they gave thanks to God in three days of prayer and thanksgiving that next fall, a harvest celebration, thanking God for all of his benefits. You see, it is possible for the very poor person who searches for crumbs that fall from the rich man's table to be grateful when he or she finds that dried up piece of bread and puts it in their mouth and as they chew it say, thank you God for providing me the bread this day. While the rich person who has spread the bounty, unbelievable bounty on that table can partake of it without a shred of gratitude in his heart. Gratitude, you see, is not produced by circumstances. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. Is is the state of being verb. It's not about happenstance. It's not about circumstance. It is about the permanent and forever nature of God. Give thanks to the Lord. Fundamentally, He is good. Liberate your thanksgiving from circumstance and start connecting it to the unchanging and eternal character of God. He's a good God. And when you believe that, the world and your life changes forever. As Dr. Markle at 40 years old said to me, my life changed when I realized that God is good. Somebody in this room needs to get a hold of this truth. It is transformational. It changes everything about life. It changes your perspective and your attitude and your disposition when you give thanks because God is good and his love endures forever. It's a truth to embrace this Thanksgiving season and to implement in your life. And though you may have been grateful up to now, you have not been grateful enough. In your own history, many of you can look back to times when God received more gratitude from you 
Though you were a young couple, though you were struggling, maybe though you were single and alone in the big city, yet you praised God every day and you made it to the house of worship. You offered your prayers and you read the word. And there may be people in this room who can remember the meager times, the difficult times, the times of trouble and heartache and sorrow even, when you were connected to God in a thanksgiving prayer that blessed your heart and stirred your soul and inspired people around you. And yet today, where is the thanksgiving gone? Has the praise ebbed out of your life as things have accumulated and you have prospered? The truth of the matter is, sometimes thanksgiving slips away as we get more. Sometimes thanksgiving slips away because we are in trouble. Maybe this Thanksgiving catches you with a wounded heart. You're bereaved. You've lost somebody you love. I think about my father being gone at this Thanksgiving gathering. Not the first. It's the third. And I miss my dad. Sometimes our Thanksgiving is more difficult because we are sick. An illness has visited us, or we've lost our job, or relationships have been bruised. But you've got to remember, gratitude is not a product of circumstance. It's a product of your faith in a good God. It is you saying, I trust the God who has brought me into being. My very existence... I owe to him, and so I will be grateful for every ray of sunshine, every drop of rain, every breath of oxygen, every beat of this heart, for it is all of him. And today, no matter what, I will lift my praise unto him and give him thanks. Is it possible for a prosperous people who enjoy better health and more physical resources than any group of people has ever enjoyed in the history of humanity, is it possible for that group of people to have a bitter root, a resentment, an ingratitude in their heart? I will tell you, yes, it is. It is possible that even we who have been so blessed might be ungrateful today. Gratitude is not a product of circumstance. Gratitude is not a product of genetics. You're not resentful because you missed the grateful gene. You know, there's not a grateful gene that Bradford got, and so he announced they're going to have Thanksgiving. You are not biologically predestined to give thanks. Thanks is not simply a feeling generated by chemicals in your body. When I talk about gratitude, I'm talking about an exercise of the will and the soul and the heart which you can enter into as a human being uniquely made in the image of God. It is your privilege, your opportunity, and your prerogative to give God thanks just as you love Him. It is related to your exercise of love. 
You are not determined by your experiences or your genetics to be grateful. It is a response freely given of your heart to the God who is freely given to you. Freely you have received. Freely give. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln decided that we would have an annual day of thanksgiving. And he proclaimed it by executive order to set aside a day when the people in America would give thanks for the blessings of life. He did so in the midst of the war between the states, which took the lives of 620,000 mostly young Americans. More people died in that war than died in all the other wars up to just recent times. And yet they had a day of thanksgiving in the midst of this? What is the president thinking? They were thinking, you know, even though we've had this terrible war, the factories have continued to produce, the farmers have brought their grain and their crops, and we have continued to thrive as a nation. And so we have much to be thankful for, even though this has happened. And in the midst of that terrible war, they instituted this day of thanksgiving on an annual basis. Gratitude is not a product of environment. It's not a product of genetics. It is your response of volition to the heart of God where you freely say, I give you thanks. I believe you are a good God. And your love endures forever, and I choose to say thank you. I was a boy when I wandered into a conversation that was not for me. It was going on in the house, and I was just wandering around the house when I came upon my father and his longtime friend, Gordon Roth. They were talking in a bedroom in some corner separated from the rest of us. I don't know why they kept talking when I walked into the room, but they did. And I remember my father saying, as a boy, never left me. He told Mr. Ross, I made about $2,000 last year. And I remember Mr. Ross saying to my father, Russ, that's not enough to support your family. You've got to change something. And he was pleading with my father about our financial condition as a family. And it was only then, as a boy, that I realized that we were in financial straits at this particular time in our family history. And I didn't know it. I knew, though, that we wore hand-me-down clothes. I knew sometimes that we ate outdated food that was given to us by the mission. I knew we didn't throw moldy bread away. We cut the mold off and we toasted it. Did you do that? I mean, that's what we did. I knew that, but I never thought of us as poor or financially challenged until I heard that conversation. And I wondered years later why I didn't see myself in the true financial condition that I was in our family 
And I think the answer is that mom and dad continued to give God thanks and praise publicly, insistently, daily, at every meal, though it was bread and beans, and that was it. We gave God thanks continually. I never had the sense of being deprived because I knew there was a God in heaven who was good and he loved me and his love endures forever. And when you know that, when you have a hold of that, no matter what the world delivers, you go to God with thanksgiving in your heart. It never gives away. Gratitude is crippled by The attitude of entitlement. That I am entitled to these blessings that come my way. That I deserve them. That I have earned them. And if I feel entitled, I may not even thank God for sunshine. Or birds that fly by. Or beautiful waves on the lake. Or oxygen that I breathe. Or green trees In a field, I may not thank God for anything because I feel entitled. He owes me. Some people feel like the world owes them. And God owes them. When I talk about our core beliefs as a congregation, I talk about wages. Because in the plan of salvation, wages are mentioned one time. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the scripture says, and the wages of sin is death. Some people get confused. They think that God's blessings are payment for their just being in the world. That God owes them this and they're getting rightfully paid when they walk out on a green meadow That that's what they deserve. And that sense of entitlement kills gratitude in the heart. When you truly understand that you are a sinner, that God made you and he loves you passionately, that he pursues you your lifetime through, seeking to establish with you a saving relationship and bring you into his family. Would you understand what God has done on your behalf? How far you were from him. All of that figures in to the disposition of gratitude that says, Lord, you don't owe me anything except the wages of sin. And so I thank you today that not only do I get the gifts of your good world, but I receive the gift of salvation freely given from you. Thank you, God. You are good. Your love endures forever. Ingratitude is unbelief turned into an attitude. All right? Ingratitude is unbelief turned into an attitude. I'm ungrateful. Why are you ungrateful? Because the world's been difficult. It's been trying. Times have been hard. And a resentment has settled over my soul. 
I'm irritated. I'm upset. It's almost like a permanent condition. I've got a bitterness about what's happened to me in the world. I feel like I've been treated unfairly. And so I'm in this place, and I can't get out. And the truth of the matter is, I'm anchored in this place of resentment and bitterness because I do not believe fundamentally that God is good. God may be good to others. He may be good in other generations, but he's not good to me. The goodness of God doesn't seem to permeate my world. My world feels darker, starker than it ought to be. My ingratitude is an evidence that I have abandoned my faith for a skepticism about the universe and how it works. Don't turn away from God and gratitude to this alternative you think may be true. Maybe you've become cynical about life itself and whether even life, the gift of life, is good. You are on a track away from the fundamental truth of the universe into a destructive and deadly corner of the mind and the soul. And you don't have to go there. The facts do not take you there. Not the facts of your circumstances, nor the facts of human history, nor the facts of nature. Don't take you to this dark and difficult place. Have you read about Frank Tipton? The Tulane physics professor who was for many years an atheist, studying the Big Bang Theory, trying to apply modern mathematics to this notion of how the world began. He's written a book, Physics and Christianity, and in it he declares that he has become a Christian because he has studied mathematics and the math drove him there. He says, I came through Thomas Aquinas, the scholastic theologian and philosopher from the 13th century, who said there had to be an unmoved mover. There had to be a first cause. That's what he was famous for. And Frank Tippin has got to the end of all his thinking and said, you know what? There's got to be a God. And he says in the article that I read this week, that it was his mathematics that brought him to belief and faith in God. I don't know what has taken you, maybe, to another extreme somewhere, to a universe that is dark and difficult, and maybe feeling that life isn't good. And I would say to you that the fundamental truth which we teach is that a good God made this universe and he cares deeply about you. It is the truth they have proclaimed the covenant people for these 4,000 years since God said to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people and I'm going to bless you. And through these years, people in covenant have realized that God is good. His love endures forever. And whatever circumstances I may be going through, 
He is the God who cares for me. And I trust him. It takes a turn of the heart. Everybody in this room today is capable of a grateful response to a good God. Because it is not predetermined by genetics or environment, you, whoever you may be, whatever your history, whatever your lineage, whoever you may be, you are capable of turning to God in gratitude for all He has done, confessing that He is a good God, turning from the sin of ingratitude, receiving the Christ whom He sent to rescue you, and entering into his family. Every single person in the room has that opportunity. It is excluded from no one. Would you let your heartfelt response today be, God, I believe you are good. You gave me the good gift of life. You sent your son Jesus to rescue me from my sin. I'm trusting in you. I come to you and I say thank you. Bow with me, please. Somebody here needs to give a thank you to God. Maybe you've been pushing him away and he's been trying to get into your heart and soul and mind and you've just, you've turned away. Somebody here needs to just open your heart to the God who loves you and made you. To respond to the Christ who died on the cross for you. And to say, Lord, here I am. I am yours. Someone here has drifted from a position of faith you used to hold. And that faith is dimmed as you've grown older. And today is a time to renew your praise to God and return to the roots of faith that anchor you in his goodness and truth. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Turn our hearts toward you. Draw us by your character, your goodness to you. I pray for the man or woman in this room who has had such a hard time seeing the goodness of God that today they will confess it as an act of faith, a statement of intent, a choice they make. And Lord, that in that choice they might find transformation of mind and spirit, perspective and outlook, and spiritual destiny. Thank you, God, for your goodness toward us. Help us respond in kind. In Jesus' name, amen.